like the widescreen podcast, man. Uh, you know, this is show number 295, and this this is like the podcast for people who are having trouble falling asleep, because, you know, uh, marijuana's not legal all over the place, so this kind of does the job for them. And it's like, you know, it's a real bummer, too, man, because... Uh, you know, the dude's been doing this podcast for a long time, and the best that he's got is to make people fall asleep, which kind of sucks, man. I have no idea. I, I, <laughs> I wanted to start the show off a little bit differently, and that was, that, that was the best that my idiotic brain could come up with. This is the widescreen podcast, show number 295, man. And there's really not much going on. Summer is halfway done, at least in the northern hemisphere here. Y'all might be freezing your butt off down in the southern parts of the world, that is. Obviously, it's hot as hell in the southern... It's it's hot as hell in England. I'm glad I don't live in England. I feel bad for the people who live in England because air conditioning isn't a thing there. I, I asked Mark a while ago, why is air conditioning really not a thing? And he said something like, well, it's really only hot here maybe two weeks out of the year. So we don't really have a, a need for air conditioning here in the UK. Ha, <laughs> boy! I'll bet that attitude's changed. A couple of weeks in a row where it was over 100 degrees Fahrenheit and people didn't have air conditioning. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess all of Europe. Europe's getting pounded. We had a couple of days here that were close to 100 degrees, but I can say they're... they're you hear that cliche about, but it's a dry heat. And I actually was able to work outside for several hours in 95 degree heat because it really wasn't that humid. I was actually able to function, which is kind of weird. I mean, the fact that I'm able to function at all is kind of weird, but that, that's a different topic. And speaking of topics, bad segue, but it's a segue nonetheless. The, the stack of things, oh my God, there is so much that's happened since the last show. Now, yes, I print everything off because that way I can highlight the important stuff and write my own little notes in there. A lot of things have happened since the last podcast, so let's just go and and start hitting the stuff. I mean, nothing really has happened personally anyway. I mean, if if you already follow me on Twitter or Twitch for Warframe-related stuff, then you know the stuff that's going on there. If you have no interest in the Warframe material, then I'm not going to bother repeating it here. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So considering how many things I got here for the show notes, San Diego Comic-Con happened, a lot of news coming out of that one. I'm just going to go right into the stuff here. Those of you who have been part of this podcast for a long time know I am a huge, huge, huge advocate of physical media. I will never, I have never and will never buy a movie or uh, an album or whatever uh, for a digital download or stream, obviously. You can't purchase movies for actual downloading. You can only stream them with, with temporary downloading when you need to. Music, now you can download as an MP3, so at least those I can back up to my file server, and then those get backed up regularly. So they're not a CD, but I can make them into a CD if I really wanted to. But at least I still own the, the, the MP3 files. But when it comes to movies and TV shows, I will never, ever, 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 ever purchase it uh, as a streaming, downloadable kind of thing because you don't own it. You know, the only reason why I own so many games on Steam is because 
I don't really have a choice. You know, you want to play games on PC, you have to purchase it for streaming or download. You, you don't have a choice. Steam, Epic Games, GOG, um, Itch.io, or Itch.io, I don't even know how it's really pronounced. Yes, you can download the games, but if that server goes away and you want to download it, you're not downloading it. For my consoles, I will always, unless I have absolutely no choice, I will always purchase the game physically. But I mean, the argument to that is it also increases the resale value of the console. If you've got a, a whatever, PlayStation 5 that you're going to sell, you know, you're going to sell it five years from now. If you've got a PlayStation 5 and all of your games are linked to your PlayStation account, well, when you try to, when you try to sell it, all you can do is sell the console. You can't sell your account. That's against the terms of service. But at least if you have the game discs, you can increase the value of that resale because you can give the discs with it. So if someone is looking to buy a brand new PS, or not a brand, brand new, if someone's buy, looking to buy a used PS5 and they see this one over here that comes with no games but controllers, but then they see yours that has a whole ton of games on disc plus the controller, which one do you think they're going to prefer? Especially when the physical game and the download version would cost the same at least out on a new purchase, uh, but chances are they're going to get a much better value of you including the discs. And when it comes to DVD and Blu-ray, my whole argument is the exact same thing. You don't own it. You've licensed it. There is a big difference. And this is a perfect example of why I am telling you, if you really want a movie that you will watch multiple times, buy the disc. Whether it's brand new on whatever marketplace you buy it on, or used on eBay or wherever, buy the disc. The Sony PlayStation Store, as of next month, will remove access to hundreds of movie titles from Studio Canal that customers in Germany and Austria previously purchased. Not rented, purchased. This comes a year after Sony stopped offering movie and TV show purchases and rental. Again, this is Germany and Austria, uh, citing the rise of streaming video services. Uh, now, Sony is saying that assured, Sony assured customers back then that they can still access movie and TV content they have purchased through PlayStation Store or on-demand playback on their PS4, PS5, and mobile devices. However, as of August 31st, 2022, due to our evolving license agreements with content providers, you will no longer be able to view your previously purchased Studio Canal content, and it will be removed from your video library. Purchased. Movies that you purchased will not be available anymore. Sony is simply going to yank them out of your library. Now, this article is several weeks old, uh, but I did a check right before doing this whole thing. There has been no update. There is no intention at this point of Sony reimbursing those purchases. And although you might not know Studio Canal as a studio name, they own titles like All Dogs Go to Heaven, the Death Wish, Death Wish franchise, Escape from New York, the Paddington movies, the Saw movies, Stargate, the Deer Hunter, the Hunger Games franchise, the John Wick franchise, the Blair Witch franchise, Apocalypse Now... And the list includes somewhere around 300 titles and franchises. Gone. Period. 
So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, good night. So I, I don't like I told you so, and I understand the convenience of being able to stream something as long as you have an internet connection. But the thing is, every disc that I own, I can also stream. I rip every single disc that I buy, and I put it on my Plex server so I can watch it by having the disc, or I can watch it through my Plex app. Even if I'm traveling, I can watch it through my Plex app. DVDs are stupid easy to crack and to rip for you to be able to stream from your own server. Blu-rays, uh, it's not free, but it's still pretty easy to do it. Don't know that they've cracked Ultra HD yet. I don't have an Ultra HD TV, so I have no real reason to do that. And uh, there's an interesting article about that that I read that we'll talk about later. But, I mean, uh, you know, whatever. Regardless. I know some people don't like having discs laying around, or they think that they don't have storage for it, but honestly, when this sort of thing happens, you're going to wish you had the discs around. Plus, plus, Canada had a big problem because they have a big cable uh, internet monopoly company up there called Rogers. Rogers screwed up, something happened, and the majority of the country lost their internet access for over a day. Completely lost it. And there were a number of tweets that I found on that one of people saying how happy they were that they still had their DVDs and Blu-rays around. Many of those mocking people who previously told them, you know, why do you have those discs? Why don't you just stream everything? And a lot of those tweets basically came out to, uh, this is why. So anyway, I doubt that anybody here listens, uh, I, I doubt that anybody listening to this podcast is from Germany or Austria, but it doesn't matter the simple fact is that if it can happen there, it can happen anywhere. And these things have already happened. Uh, Amazon once got knocked, I forget how long ago it was, where they took off, uh, they, they literally, from other people's Kindles, they simply deleted a certain book because they realized, oh, well, that book shouldn't have been published. They didn't have the rights to be published. So Amazon reached out to everybody's Kindle who purchased that book and deleted it from their Kindle, a book that they bought. Now, needless to say, they got a lot of crap for that. I'm sure the people in Germany and Austria who purchased their movies through their Sony PlayStation uh, are not happy about this because there's still no word on if they're going to get reimbursed. But this is why when, whenever possible, I am a physical media forever guy. Now, for me, there are other practical reasons. I just ordered, anybody who also has been listening to this podcast for a while, I am one of maybe five people here in America who still really, really love the Proclaimers. Yeah, you know, the, the, the two brothers from uh, Scotland who sang I'm Gonna Be, huge fan of theirs. They're coming out with a new album. Yes, I'm buying the CD, but I'm also buying an autographed LP. I think that's cool. You know, you can't autograph a digital download. Granted, I mean, that's a collectability issue, um, not a convenience issue. I understand that. But still, I would not be surprised if there are fans out there who are like, well, I'd, I'd like that, but I don't have a record player. So get one. <laughs> you know, it's you could. Granted, it's, it's a lot more expensive than buying a CD or, uh, you know, buying it from streaming, but you know, or from download, but you know, whatever. Anyway, anyway, okay. So I just wanted to mention that, that I've been a strong proponent of physical media for a long time, and this is exactly why. If you can't hold it, if you can't touch it, if you can't look at the box, you don't own it. And all it takes is one bad licensing decision 
for Sony or Microsoft or Amazon or Apple or whoever to say, oh, yeah, that thing that you bought, we're taking it back. More things going on with Netflix. I've mentioned this in previous podcasts. They have an anti-password sharing test that's going on by letting people buy additional houses, primarily down in South America. Well, now that's expanding to Argentina, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and the Dominican Republic. So it says that they are going to prompt users to pay an additional fee if they use an account on a TV or TV-connected device that is located outside of their primary household for over two weeks, which, of course, they're going to determine primarily by IP address, which is dumb because that is not a fail-safe method of proving a damn thing. But that's all they've got to go on. So they say that if you're going to be using this for a limited time, you can watch Netflix up for up to two weeks at no extra charge as long as your account has not been previously used in that location. After that time, the TV will be blocked unless you add the extra home. So if you travel a lot and you travel to the same places, you might actually have to purchase an extra spot for each of those places that you go to. Like if, if you're... If you're a big business type and you go to New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Chicago regularly for extended times, and you bring your Netflix account with you, you're going to have to pay an additional fee for each of those locations. Oh, and that location bit is only for once a year. So if you go to, if you go to a different city multiple times a year, you're going to have to pay Netflix extra for that location, even if it's on the very same device that you normally use to watch Netflix. This is bullshit. <clears throat> anyway, now as it stands right now, they haven't said that it's coming to the U.S. or Canada or any place else. It seems to be focused primarily on uh, Latin American countries for whatever reason. But if there's any level of success, expect it to come up here. And if it does work, expect other streaming services to follow suit. And speaking of Netflix, they've announced, and we've talked about this before, that they're going to be launching an advertising type of Netflix in the early part of 2023. It says that uh, it will roll out in a handful of markets first, but it doesn't say which ones. But they say that this is going to be a lower-priced advertising-supported offering that will complement our existing plans, which will remain ad-free. So this is not unusual. Other services do this too. Paramount Plus does this. You pay a higher price if you don't want commercials. You pay a lower price if you don't have a problem dealing with commercials. And right now, the cheapest that you can get Netflix is $10 a month. So chances are the paid version will probably seven, 6 or $7 a month. Well, you know, whatever. Whenever they announce the pricing, I will let you know. One of the concerns with Disney Plus, uh, because well, it, it's Disney... Uh, are things like Deadpool and Logan. What's going to happen to those movies or franchises? Well, believe it or not, they are heading to Disney+, Plus, which are going to be the first R-rated films to be shown on Disney+. Plus. So according to this, by the time you've already heard this podcast, they are accessible through Disney+. Plus. And Disney has announced that Daredevil, as well as the, the, uh, the various Marvel series from Netflix, like Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, The Punisher, and so forth, they're going to be heading over to Disney Plus as well, and some of those are, well, not kid-friendly. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> they're not kid-friendly if you're here in puritanical America, you know, where you can't see a bare butt without someone saying, think of the children. Which brings to mind the question, 
now that Deadpool and Logan, which are very R-rated movies, are going to be on Disney+, Plus, are they going to revert Daryl Hannah's furry butt in Splash? Or, or is that still going to be, you know, think of the children? Now, I'm just asking a question, you know. I mean, come on, Deadpool has a sex scene in it, for crying out loud. Anyway, when it comes to hardware, I came across an article that I found interesting. Many of you know that I do not have a 4K TV. I do not want a 4K TV. I have a standard high-def 3D TV, and I will keep it until it dies. But I found an article on Vulture from someone, uh, whoever the author is, who purchased a Ultra HD TV for the first time and found that it actually has a lot of problems. And these are problems that I've talked about in the past. I said, it's, you're going to run into this. Now, on movies like 2001 A Space Odyssey, I mean, that was filmed on, on 65 or 70 millimeter film. 8K won't even be enough to, to view all of the details from that film. So when that was restored on Ultra HD, that was taken right from the film stock. That's going to look freaking amazing. And everything was done optically, all the special effects and so forth. So that's going to look phenomenal. You know, the, the Back to the Future movies, all that stuff was done optically with, with very little CGI. But even then, it was all done for 35 millimeter film. But then he mentions The Revenant from 2015 and said everything looked great until the CGI happened. And now suddenly he's noticing things that things that are CGI look off when it comes to the regular 35 millimeter film counterpart. Same thing with Thor Ragnarok, same thing with Godzilla vs. Kong. There was just something weird when it came when it came to CGI that it looked wrong. It didn't look like it really fit. It looked like they were talking about plastic models and plastic toys. And interestingly, it looks like a lot of this comes down to because CGI, even now, is still rendered in 2K instead of 4K. Now, let, let's have a little description here because you might think, well, 2K, that's not bad. It's not as good as you think it is. Uh, because the phrase is 2K, 4K, HD, Ultra HD, they all get intermixed and used interchangeably, and they shouldn't be. 2K, here's, a, here's a little bit of education for you. 2K and 4K are supposed to represent recording and processing, not display. So 2K and 4K are for the creation process. HD and Ultra HD are for the display process. F saying that it's 4K Ultra HD, no, that's a misnomer. That's like saying, yes, you enter the building through the exit. It doesn't, doesn't work. And a lot of theaters, th they also say that they've got 2K projectors. Well, that doesn't make any sense because, again, 2K is for filming and processing, not actually showing. But you think, well, 2K, how, you know, that, that's 2K. That must be pretty good. Uh, it's not. See, the difference is when we talk about 720p and HD and 1080p and Ultra HD, that refers to vertical resolution, top to bottom. 720p is obviously 720 lines of resolution, HD, and 1080p, 1080 lines. And then Ultra HD, which is 21, is, uh, sorry, 2,160. <laughs> yeah, 21,000, holy cow. But when they talk about 2K and 4K, they're talking about horizontal resolution, so you'd think that 2K sounds so much better than HD because it's 2K. It's actually pretty much the same. HD is 1920 by 1080. 2K is 2048 by 1080. 
So 2K is only 128 pixels more on the horizontal than HD. But it's got the same amount of vertical lines. So basically, when you go to a movie theater that has a 2K projector, you're watching pretty much the same resolution you get at home. And just like Ultra HD, which is actually four times the definition of HD, 4K is four times the resolution of 2K. So Ultra HD is 3840 by 2160. Well, 4K is 4096 by 2160. So the sorry, the vertical resolution is the same. The horizontal resolution is just a little bit more than on Ultra HD. But the problem is, most of the special effects done in movies today are done in 2K, which is pretty much simply high definition. So remember, CGI work that's done in 2K is not half as sharp as Ultra HD or 4K. It's a quarter as sharp as Ultra HD or 4K, and then it's simply expanded. Maybe they run it through some kind of algorithm to smooth things out, but still, you're talking about CGI is being done at a quarter of the resolution of what can be shown on a 4K... See, I did it. This is what I... On an Ultra HD TV. And you can see it on your PC, you know, the difference if you're playing a game that takes full advantage of whatever your screen can do versus an older game in a lower resolution that's simply blown up. You can see a difference. And on a lot of these Ultra HD Blu-rays, you're seeing CGI that's done in pretty much HD quality. So now you've got HD quality CGI that's put against an Ultra HD background of whatever was filmed, and there's a dissonance there that your brain's going to pick up. So then the next question might be, well, then why don't they take the CGI and render it in 4K? Well, it's four times as much as 2K, so that means it's going to take four times as long to render. It's going to require four times as much storage. And quite frankly, unless you scale it properly, a CGI piece that's done in 4K can actually look worse than it's been in 2K if you don't account for the extra detail. So really, if you've got an Ultra HD TV, your best bet probably is to stick with movies where everything was done optically on 35 or 70 millimeter film. You know, this isn't a, this is not an anti-CGI statement. I'm not trying to make that. I, I don't believe that CGI is bad. But if you're sensitive to those kinds of things where it, it looks like plastic CGI on top of a gorgeous Ultra HD 4K, you know, filmed background, maybe you want to just use the Blu-ray instead of the Ultra HD version. In fact, there are people in the industry who are skeptical of whether or not they should be doing things in 4K. Uh, Eric Winquist, who's a visual effects supervisor at Weta, so he, he's worked on Avatar, he's worked on Doctor Strange, he said, one of the Marvel films I just finished recently was at 2K. The film I'm prepping right now is going to be in 2K. And these are big tentpole films, not low-budget indies or anything. With the distance that typical audiences sit from their TVs, the benefit of 4K is debatable, and that is true. Uh, I've sat through dailies where we're zooming in 16 times on somebody's cheek and analyzing whether the poor detail, the poor detail, is everything that it can be. And part of me wonders, is anybody even seeing that? I mean, granted, if you're one of those people who leaves the uh, motion smoothing on your TV, then this you probably don't care. <laughs> but I know that I do have listeners who do care. And of course, now that I've mentioned this and you've heard this, 
you're probably going to have it, you know, it's going to be more noticeable with movies that you watch. And you know, th this isn't an argument against 4K TVs. <laughs> can you even buy non-4K? You probably can buy regular HD TVs, they're, but they're going to be like super cheap bargain basement stuff. Um, so I, I guess the, the whole argument of, well, don't even buy a 4K TV. or blah, blah, I'm not trying to make that argument. But you should at least be aware of the source material that you're using to watch on your Ultra HD TV. Yeah, I know. I said 4K earlier. What can I say? It's been... It's being used interchangeably, and it shouldn't, but that's a pedantic argument that I'm going to lose. But what I will also do, if, if you are looking for a 4K TV and you don't know what size might be best for you, I will also include a link in the show notes. There are numerous websites out there that say, if you want, if your viewing distance is going to be this distance, then this is the best size TV for you, because anything else will be a waste. And as you know, the bigger the screen, the more money you're going to spend. So I will also include a link of that into the show notes. And I am curious if any of you have noticed on movies that have CGI, you know, shot on 35mm film, but then it's got CGI work in there. Have you noticed that, wow, that, that CGI looks kind of plasticky now that you've upgraded to an Ultra HD TV? I'm curious. Just you know, podcast at widescreen.org. Let me know what your experience has been. I'd be curious to hear it. Well, as I record this now, it's a Friday night, so there's a new weekend. No idea what the box office is going to be, so any box office results that I could give you are going to be old. <laughs> I'm not going to bother doing that, but there have been some notable uh, things going on in the box office. DC's League of Super Pets is coming into the theaters this weekend. So far, it's received pretty positive results. They're expecting it to actually lead this weekend, but obviously we'll see what's happening. I mean, the family movies have doing been doing very well. Minions Rise of Gru has already crossed $600,000 at the global box office. It's crossed more than $300 million domestically. And that actually makes it the first animated pick to cross the $300 million mark uh, domestically since COVID. Uh, I love this. During the, the COVID era. We are in the COVID era. Let's hope that it doesn't become the monkeypox era. That would suck. But right now, Minions Rise of Gru uh, stands at $664 million worldwide. Nope has only been out for a week. That's made $44 million domestically, $62 million globally. And Top Gun Maverick has been, holy freaking hell, $641 million domestic, almost $1.3 billion worldwide. I don't even need to explain how much of a profit maker that one is. Paramount must be really happy right now. And of course, don't forget that Spider-Man No Way Home is going to be re-released into theaters in the next few months. That's going to probably be another smash hit. Uh, and it's already made $1.9 worldwide. Sony's very happy right now, too. But so far, domestically anyway, the biggest box office hit so far for 2022, Top Gun... Doctor Strange, The Batman, Jurassic World Dominion, Minions, Thor, Spider-Man, Sonic, Uncharted, and Elvis coming in at number 10. Yep, even Elvis. Elvis so far has made $123 million domestically. Let me see. Uh, $123 million domestic, $217 million worldwide. Honestly, I did not call that one. So... Let's go on to the movies. A big one that dropped is that Ben Affleck is going to be coming back as Batman. 
not necessarily for a franchise, you know, in another set of Batman movies, but he is coming back as Batman for the Aquaman sequel. Apparently, uh, this was supposed to be a secret until Jason Momoa decided to let that little detail slip on his Instagram account. He had a photo of him and Affleck saying, Reunited Bruce and Arthur. Love you and miss you, Ben. Uh, Warner Brothers Studio Tours just explored the back lot. All right. Uh, busted on set. All great things coming. Aquaman 2. All my aloha. So there's no, I, no, you know, more, no word on uh, how big the role is going to be in the next Aquaman movie. It's set to hit theaters on March 17th. But, I mean, we've known for a while that this is coming. This is no surprise. I mean, the first movie made $1.1 billion globally. Uh, yeah, duh, they're going to make a sequel. Lots of announcements at San Diego Comic-Con, uh, one of which is Marvel. Their Phase 6 is going to end with two new Avengers movie movies, John, plural. Uh, the Kang Dynasty, uh, sorry, Avengers The Kang Dynasty, and Avengers Secret War, both of which are going to be shown in 2025. Uh, as for Avengers The Kang Dynasty, they've already attached a director. Destin Daniel Cretton, who did... I hope it's Cretton and not Cretton or something. Uh, it looks like Cretton to me. But, you know, it's my job as an audio-only podcast guy to be stupid, you know, and get things wrong. Okay, I'm not supposed to, but I, I do. I will make mistakes, okay? Sorry. <laughs> That's what happens when I deal mostly with, uh, you know... Reports that come in through my email and, and so forth. Regardless, he did Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, so he has now been attached to direct Avengers The Kang Dynasty. That's scheduled to hit theaters on May 2nd, 2025, and Avengers Secret Wars is scheduled to hit November 7th, 2025. James Gunn has announced that Gamora will be coming back for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and they're going to use the old trope of amnesia problems. So, set after the events of Avengers Endgame, uh, the Guardians are back to deal with the fact that one of their main team members, Gamora, doesn't remember who they are. She died during the events of Avengers Infinity War, but a different variant of the character jumped into Earth in Endgame. And according to this, Gamora does not recognize any of the Guardians and is currently working with the Ravagers. So the Ravagers are a clan of bounty hunters that cross the galaxy making dangerous deliveries that were an important part of the two previous Guardians movies. Guardians of the Galaxy 3 is set to hit theaters this coming May. I know a lot of people have been calling for this ever since uh, Fox was bought by Disney. There is now going to be a Fantastic Four movie. It's going to be hitting theaters on November 8th of 2024. So probably the most well-regarded of all the Fantastic Four movies was the 2005 version, uh, made over $300 million worldwide on a $100 million budget. So that one did actually, that, that, that was a profitable movie. Jessica Alba, Chris Evans, Michael Chiklis, all of who came back for, for the Rise of the Silver Surfer a few years later. That also made $300 million globally. And then we've got the 2015 version, which... Uh, yeah, Miles Teller, Kate Mara, Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Bell, and it did not do well <laughs> at all. Lots of production issues, uh, lots of reports of director Josh Trank just not being cooperative and being downright abusive in some cases, verbally. 
reshoots were noted to be done with very badly done wigs on uh, some characters. So yeah, it did not do well. $120 million budget only brought in $167 million worldwide. Highly panned for being a bad story. Bad special effects. Bad plot. Bad costumes. Bad wigs. Yeah, it was not... It was not well received. So hopefully, now that it's back under Marvel's wing, this Fantastic Four will match the caliber of movies that Marvel has been doing as of late. We'll find out. Uh, Blade was also rumored to be getting a, a reboot soon, and it looks like that's happening. The new Blade will be released in theaters on November third, two thousand twenty-three, and Blade will be played or so, Daywalker will be played by Marshala Ali. Obviously, we know the one with Wesley Snipes. Uh, Blade, Blade 2, Blade Trinity, all three movies brought in over $400 million globally at the box office, and it's been rumored for a while that they were going to have a new Blade movie coming out. Well, there you go. It's been announced. Also announced, Captain America New World Order. That's going to be hitting theaters on May 3rd, 2024. And yes, it is going to be Anthony Mackie ha handling the shield, uh, not Chris Evans. So when you look at all the things that Marvel's going to be doing, uh, let's see, so Phase 4 is going to finish with Black Panther Wakanda Forever. That's going to be out this November 11th. Uh, Phase 5 is going to have Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, uh, February of next year, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 in May of next year, The Marvels, July, Blade, November. There is an untitled Marvel movie for February of 2024. Captain America New World Order in May of 2024, Thunderbolts in July of 2024. Then on to Phase 6, there's not a whole lot here, Fantastic Four, November 8th of 2024, Untitled Marvel Movie, February of 2025, uh, Avengers Kang Dynasty, May of 2025, Untitled Marvel, July of 2025, Avengers Secret Wars, November of 2025, and then four Untitled Marvel Movies, for 2026. Some other announcements, and there were so many announcements either at or around San Diego Comic-Con, I'm just kind of lumping them all together here. John Wick 4 has started to get uh, started filming, and they've released a sneak peek of that. Uh, that's going to be out in theaters on March 2023. There were a whole ton of videos that were released around this time, so I'm not going to play segments from all of them. I will put them all in the show notes. If you have not seen them already, then you can go there, and you're welcome to watch them on your own. Amazon did release a uh, trailer for Lord of the Ring, The Rings of Power, at San Diego Comic-Con, and it looks good. It looks really good. If you haven't seen that, I highly recommend it. An official teaser for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, was released. Uh, again, that comes out November 11th of this year. Black Adam had a sneak peek revealed at Comic-Con. Uh, that's going to be out in theaters, only in theaters, on October 21st. The first official trailer for Shazam! Fury of the Gods also dropped. That's going to be coming out on December 15th for, well, for not North America, and then December 21st for North America. And I think that's it for the notable movie San Diego Comic-Con announcements. The only other things that I've got that are definitely San Diego Comic-Con related, uh, we already talked about Captain America 4. It's found its director already, Julius Ona, who is probably best known for helming the Cloverfield Paradox. He's going to be directing the fourth installment of Captain America. No idea when it's going to start, no idea what the story is going to be, but at least they've got a director. you got to start somewhere.
And although this is not going to be released theatrically, it's still directly related to a very popular franchise. Predator is getting a prequel called Prey. Now that unfortunately is going straight to Hulu on August 5th, but they did have a screening of it at San Diego Comic-Con, and it got a standing ovation. So this new movie called Prey, uh, it's a little bit different from the Predator franchise in that it takes place about three centuries ago, and it centers around a skilled Comanche warrior who sets out to protect her people after they are attacked by the Predator uh, that has the skills and weapons that they are not prepared to fight, but they will do it in any way in order to survive. So the movie is also notable because most of the cast, or just about all of the cast, really, are actual indigenous actors, or First Nation, as they call them up in Canada. And this will be the first movie ever to stream with Comanche subtitles. So anyway, the re reviews for this look amazing. A lot of people saying that this absolutely should have gone to theaters. Several of them saying that this is the best Predator since, well, Predator. And that star Amber Midthunder is absolutely amazing. So unfortunately, it does also sound like it's going to go back to some of its, you know, nasty, bloody, gory roots, which kind of turns me off, but I'm still kind of interested. Anyway, all of the, the video clips and trailers and teasers, they're all going to be in the show notes. And uh, yeah, some really cool announcements there. Looking forward to them. Now, of all of the announcements since the last podcast, the one that probably blew my mind the most uh, has nothing to do with San Diego Comic-Con. In fact, I'm really, I'm, I'm very shocked about this one announcement. In celebration of its 40th anniversary, E.T. the Extraterrestrial is coming back to theaters exclusively on IMAX beginning on August 12th. That, in and of itself, I don't care. I did not like E.T. Fine. I, judge me. I don't care. I did not like E.T. Yes, I, I know that it was the highest grossing film of the year. I know it won four Academy Awards, I think. But this is the one that blew my mind. I'm still not going to see it, but it still blew my mind. Jaws is coming back to theaters on September 2nd on both IMAX and in 3D. Yes, you heard me right. Steven Spielberg has remastered Jaws for a 3D release. I mean, really, when you think of Jaws in 3D, you think of Jaws 3, uh, which was not a good movie, uh, and, and it relied on stupid you know what they used to do with 3d let's throw things at the screen even though there's no real need to let's have the camera zoom up really close on something so that it could just come leaping out of the screen it relied on that kind of stuff not a good movie but to hear that the original jaws is being redone for 3d oh my god i i, I won't see it <laughs> i don't like those kinds of movies i respect jaws place in pop culture I'm not saying I wouldn't buy it if it came out on 3D Blu-ray just to show support for the format. But yeah, so E.T. exclusively in IMAX August 12th, Jaws on IMAX and 3D September 2nd. Now, unfortunately, this is one of those things that I don't like having to do, but unfortunately it is necessary. We all die at some point. Sorry for bringing the tone down. And unfortunately, there have been a number of notable deaths since the last podcast. One you might not know by name, but I can just about guarantee you've seen him. He's been a character actor for many decades, 
LQ Jones, who played in uh, The Wild Bunch and a number of, of uh, Sam Peckinpah classics, has died. And again, you might not know the name, but you've probably, I can just about guarantee you've seen him in one or more movies. He's been in The Wild Bunch, Ride the High Country. A lot of these are obviously westerns. Hang Em High. Uh, he was in Casino, Martin Scorsese's Casino. He was in Robert Altman's A Prairie Home Companion. He was in, he's been in a lot of movies. Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, he's been on a whole bunch of TV shows like Gunsmoke, Wagon Train, Lassie, Rawhide, uh, Perry Mason. He also played Three-Fingered Jack opposite Antonio Banderas in 1998's Mask of Zorro. So you've probably seen him. I can just about guarantee you've seen him in several movies. Very recognizable, very Texan with a decades-long career. LQ Jones has died at the age of 94. To go with a bigger name, James Caan who was basically a leading man of Hollywood. He, too, has died. He's probably most noted for playing Sonny Corleone in The Godfather, but he's also noted on TV for starring in 1971's ABC movie of the week, Brian's Song. But some of his roles include uh, op opposite Barbara Streisand in Funny Lady, uh, with Mel Brooks in Silent Movie, opposite Bette Midler in For the Boys, Honeymoon in Vegas, and even Straight Man to Will Ferrell's Elf. But he will probably best be known for his uh, roles in Rollerball and The Godfather, especially his improvised line of, you gotta get up close like this and bada-bing, you blow their brains all over your nice Ivy League suit. That was actually improvised. James Caan was 82. David Warner, another name that you probably, you might not know the name, but you definitely know the face. He's been in so many movies, uh, especially if you love sci-fi, he's been in a lot of sci-fi movies as well. Some of his movie credits include The Omen, uh, Carl Reiner's A Man with Two Brains, Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, and he was also notable for playing fantastic bad guys, especially uh, as Jack the Ripper in Time After Time, uh, the character Evil in Terry Gilliam's Time Bandits, and of course, Tron, playing the scheming NCOM senior executive Ed Dillinger, or you might have seen him in Titanic. For those of us who are Star Trek fans, he played several roles. Uh, including Human Federation Representative John Talbot in Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, uh, Klingon Chancellor Gorkhan in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and the Cardassian officer Gull Madred in Star Trek The Next Generation. If you've ever seen the meme about five lights when there's only four, that's David Warner. Some of the credits include The 39 Steps, The French Lieutenant's Woman, uh, The Company of Wolves, Drive, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, uh, Craven's, Wes Craven's Scream 2, and over 220 different acting credits listed on IMDb. He even had a chance to play a good guy in the 1984 version of A Christmas Carol playing opposite George C. Scott. David Warner has died at the age of 80. Paul Servino, who is probably best known as the cold-hearted mobster Pauly Cicero in Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas, has died. The father of actress Mira Sorvino, he's starred in several movies uh, opposite James Caan, previously mentioned uh, in The Gambler, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet, Oliver Stone's Nixon, Red's Dick Tracy, Bullworth. He actually received a Tony nomination back in 1973 for his role in Jason Miller's That Championship Season, which he then reprised that role when it was made into a movie back in 1982. And even though he's probably going to be best known as the mobster in Goodfellas, 
To those of us who are Star Trek fans, he also was known as Worf's brother in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Paul Sorvino was 83. So there's, right there, out of the list that we have so far, two of the four who have died have been members of Star Trek, and unfortunately announced just today, one of the original Star Trek crew has gone off to the final frontier. Nichelle Nichols, who played Lieutenant Uhura since the original TV series, has died. She was cast as Uhura by Gene Roddenberry after she guest starred as the fiancé of a black U.S. Marine who was a victim of racism in a 1964 episode of another show that he created called The Lieutenant. And of course, because of her role in Star Trek and her popularity of that, and the fact that that was the first role for not just a black person, but a black woman as an equal in the late 1960s, that was trailblazing for the time. And of course, there's a story that she has told many times, those of us who are Trekkies know this one very well, that she actually met Dr. Martin Luther King, who identified himself as a fan, and convinced her to stay on the show because she, would, she was considering leaving because she had other opportunities presented to her. And he said straight up, you must not leave. Because for the first time, uh, at least on American television, a black woman was shown not only in a position of command because she was a lieutenant, but she was an equal member of the bridge crew. So she obviously went on to play the role in all six of the original Star Trek films, uh, as well as the animated series, several video games, and even on an episode of Futurama. But after Star Trek was canceled, she also went to, took NASA to task in a speech for not reaching out to women and minorities, at which point NASA agreed to have her serve as a recruiter. And some of the people who applied to NASA, thanks to the work that she did, include Sally Ride, Judy Resnick, Ronald McNair, and Ellison Onizuka. She starred in other movies and TV series, of course, uh, even going back to Dancing with Sammy Davis Jr. in 1959's Porgy and Bess. But even with all of that and her work with NASA and so forth, she will always be known to pop culture as Lieutenant Uhura. Michelle Nichols has closed the healing frequencies one last time at the age of 89. Okay, I think that that's enough of that. Five obituaries in the, in a row with the last one really hitting hard on Star Trek fans. Yeah, let's let's move on to something else. This one is firmly in the rumor category, but apparently New Line is getting ready to have a Mortal Kombat sequel, obviously from the uh, recent movie. Supposedly Simon McCoy is set to return as the director uh from for the follow-up to the 2021 movie. It did okay Hey, it technically didn't go break even. It was $55 million production, only made $84 million globally, but it had an HBO Max simultaneous release. And surprisingly, even though in that regard, they actually, well, supposedly the execs were actually thrilled with the results because it made $84 million even when it had a simultaneous HBO Max release. So what does that mean for what it actually brought in? I have no idea. But apparently the execs were quick to get a sequel into development, and one of the first orders of business was to bring McCoy back in to direct the sequel. So obviously this is a rumor, and it is a relatively fresh rumor, so if it does finally come to be official, I searched as you know right before I did this segment, and I didn't see anything. So right now it's still in the rumor category. But of course if I find anything out, I will let you know. And as long as we're on the topic of video game movies... 
Tomb Raider, uh, the rights to Tomb Raider have now been lost. They were at MGM for a while, but now they've actually been returned to producer Graham King and his GK Films. So, they're up for bid. So apparently, people really are looking to reboot Tomb Raider again. Opening bids were taken, but apparently it's escalated into a bidding war. So obviously, Alicia Vikander was in the 2008 re reboot for Tomb Raider uh, for MGM. Earned about $275 million globally, and it was supposed to have a sequel, but that project is now dead, and they're expecting the role to be recast. So according to this, one source describes the situation for the Tomb Raider rights as a feeding frenzy. If that's the case, I'm sure we're going to have more Tomb Raiders coming along, but whether that's going to be theatrically or streaming or both, who knows? As soon as I know, I'll let you know, because that's kind of what I do here, you know? Here's the thing. We're a team of thieves. Then when you do this... You're bound to make enemies. Sometimes those enemies come looking for revenge. Truth be told, we helped the wrong person steal the wrong thing. We didn't mean to unleash the greatest evil the world has ever known. But we're gonna fix it. So how do we pull that off? Uh... Figure it out over a drink? Probably best. You need to... Then give us a fighting chance. We're gonna need strength. You got this, right? I know you don't. We also need courage. Magic. And you. What is that again? It's an owl there. Let's go! And that was part of the trailer for the upcoming Dungeons and Dragons movie called Honor Among Thieves. Um, okay, that's honestly not what I would have expected from a Dungeons and Dragons movie, but I mean, it, it, it looks good. It looks like a good fantasy action movie. I'll, I'll, in fairness, I guess when you say, well, what is a Dungeons and Dragons movie? It would have to be a fantasy action movie. Anyway, starring Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, Justice Smith, Sophia Lillis, and others, it is set to come to theaters on March 2023. Well, in March 2023. And if you want to see the entire trailer for yourself, I will admit it does look good. Uh, then you, you know where to go. Now, there's something I wanted to tackle that... I, I will call BS when I see BS, and I'm seeing a lot of it on this one. Rolling Stone had this massive, what they call an exclusive, regarding the Snyder Cut, claiming that fake accounts fueled the Snyder Cut online army. Basically, they're saying that, that the Snyder Cut was fueled by bots and things of that nature who were, you know, defending it and demanding it and blah 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 calling it a flood of attacks aimed at Warner Brothers, calls for boycotts, demands for executives to be fired, you know, typical typical internet fare anymore. I mean, this article is, is big. You print it off and it's like uh, 10 pages, maybe more. They go through a whole lot of the history and the bad blood that went on that really have no relevance to the Snyder Cut 
at all, but you know, hey, it 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 pads the reading. You know, and they go over how supposedly the the analysis companies determined how many of the the Twitter posts and so forth were done by bots. And then they made claims that it was actually Zack Snyder behind the scenes pulling the strings and blah blah. You know, I I don't know about any of that. I honestly don't care. What's done is done. But I'm sure that some of you have probably read this as well. There are a lot of personality issues going on between uh, DC executives and um, Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder suffered a, a tragic personal loss with his daughter's suicide. The whole thing is ugly, and the article points to a lot of stuff that really is not relevant so much to the situation of you know the Justice League, uh, the Snyder Cut of Justice League, and, and the whole fake army thing. But they make this one point, and I wanted to address this. Again, in case any of you have read this and thought, oh, wow, hey, that's that's really a bad thing. Oh, my God, all the bots that, that are responsible for the Snyder Cut. <sighs> According to documents that were obtained by Rolling Stone, 13% of the accounts that took part in the conversation about the Snyder Cut were deemed fake. Well above the 3 to 5% the cyber experts say they typically see on any trending topic. 13%. Now, this report supposedly was commissioned by Warner Brothers. That sounds like sour grapes to me. And obviously that whole campaign did finally get a Zack Snyder version of Justice League released. But the simple fact of the matter is that they're talking about 13%. Well, you know what that means? That means that 87% were real. Now, if you have 87% of that whole discourse coming from real people, uh, doesn't that actually kind of seem that it's dumb to say that it was fake or, or that they were duped into making a Snyder Cut? I mean, don't get me wrong. Some of the, the posts on there were brutal and went well past what they should have done. Again, typical internet reactions. But I'm sorry, if 87% of the, the discourse was deemed to be coming from real people, what does the 13% matter? And even if it was handled you know, by Snyder behind the scenes, can you blame him? I mean, he, he lost his daughter during the whole, Sydney, during the whole situation. Execs at DC uh, apparently were very, well, let's just say negative toward him. And then his movie got taken over by Joss Whedon, and there's a whole... There's a whole thing of of, of uh, bad accusations and so forth going on against him. And on top of that, Snyder came out with accusations uh, that the pressure wasn't really what, what caused Warner Brothers to finally release the Snyder Cut or allow him to release his cut, but it was a way to drive HBO Max subscriptions instead. After all, that's where the movie premiered. So I don't know, I mean, Rolling Stone came to the conclusion that that means a fandom amplified by fake accounts helped shake down a major studio at an ultimate cost to Warner Brothers of more than $100 million to re-release a movie that had already bombed years earlier. Okay, case in point, it did not bomb years earlier. I'm not saying it was a, it was a success, but it at the very least broke even. Its rumored budget was $300 million, and I don't know if that budget also includes the $100 million for the Snyder Cut, but let's say for the sake of argument that it doesn't. And that $300 million was the original shoot, plus Joss Whedon doing his reshoots and blah, 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 blah. The movie still brought in $657 million worldwide, which is more than twice the budget. Generally, that is considered to be, if not a profit, at least a break-even. So no, it did not bomb. 
But then to discount that it was mostly real people, vast majority, 87% of the whole situation was actually done by real people, not bots. And quite frankly, it would be ridiculous to think that it wasn't done to try to bolster streaming, seeing as how that's where it was released. I'm sorry, I don't buy the whole story. It sounds like Rolling Stone is... Well, okay, I mean, it was Warner Brothers who did the report. Rolling Stone was reporting it and adding their own little commentary to it. I don't buy it. I, I don't buy it. Sounds to me like Warner Brothers is just pissed off. And Rolling Stone is simply being a mouthpiece because, hey, clicks. So I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm calling BS on that report. But what do you think? Podcast at widescreen.org. I think it was... I don't know. See, I don't want to... I don't want to defend the mobs because internet mobs can be ridiculously brutal and they cross the line whenever they can. So I really don't want to defend them. But at the same time, claiming that 13% of the whole discourse was done by bots and therefore that means that the whole thing was kind of not genuine is, is ridiculous. I don't know, quite frankly, can we fuel this rage toward Paramount? I want a director's cut with the correct CGI and, and special effects and storyline and so forth that William Shatner originally wanted for Star Trek V. Yes, I will die on this hill. I want a director's cut of Star Trek V with, uh, with ILM doing the special effects instead of that absolutely abysmal special effects company that, that they had to do. Because ILM was booked. ILM, they, they had no choice. They had to find someone else to do the special effects, and my God, they were awful. Pretty sure that company went belly up, too. <laughs> Gee, I can't imagine why. But in between budget cuts and horrible special effects, I want a director's cut of Star Trek V. I want to see it the way William Shatner intended it to be, and I will defend that position until I become dust in the ground. Or wherever my wife spreads my ashes, or, or whatever she does with my body. I don't care. I'll be dead. What do I care? And to, to anyone who might be new here and th be thinking, dude, Star Trek V, really? Star Trek V? Yes. Yes. I saw that movie on opening day, and I walked out of the theater thinking, I saw where they were going with that, but they missed the mark. So I, mean, I saw what they were trying to do and what they were trying to say in the movie. It, they, they didn't have a chance to do it, though. And I recognized that as I walked out of the theater on opening day. So yes, I, I, I will absolutely defend that I want a director's cut of Star Trek V. I'll never get it, but I mean, you know, it would be nice. Oh, well, in other news, Sony is pushing the Spider-Man title Madame Web from July 7th to October 6th, 2023. Uh, apparently the first weekend for October has been really good for Sony movies. Uh, that scored the month's second and third biggest openings with the sequel to Venom and then the original Venom. And then Sony is moving a Marvel Universe title from October 6, 2023 to June 7, 2024, which maybe the next Spider-Man movie? Maybe. Uh, what else? Let's see. There's going to be a fifth Insidious movie from Screen Gems. That's coming out on July 7, 2023 as I drop the paper. Uh, a Man Called Otto, starring Tom Hanks, is going to debut on December 14th instead of Christmas Day of this year. And the Adam Driver sci-fi pick 65, which is about an astronaut who crash lands on a mysterious planet, is being pushed back two weeks and will open on April 28th, 2023 instead of April 14th. Uh, what else is going on? Uh, Dune has announced that Part 2 has begun production, which is no surprise. The first one did very well. 
oh, this is going on. Disney is doing what Disney does. Uh, well, some alliteration that I didn't mean to do. Uh, and uh, they're taking yet another one of their cartoons and making it live action. This case, the remake is going to be Lilo and Stitch. And Dean Fleischer-Camp, who's the filmmaker behind Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, is going to be directing it. Now, interestingly, they say it's going to be a tentpole feature project for Disney+. Plus. I mean, no, the movie didn't do super well in, in theaters when it was released, but it's gained a lot of popularity since then. So I'm kind of surprised if it actually does stay Disney+, Plus, but who knows. Uh, does say that it's intended to be a combination live-action CG hybrid, and that's all we've got on it so far. I kind of hope it does go to theaters. It, I think it deserves it. Every other one of their remakes that I can think of, anyway, has gone to theater. Who knows? Maybe they'll change their mind. I'm kind of hoping they will. I hope they will, but, you know, Disney will probably keep it on Disney Plus just to spite me, you know? Because they know I hate them. <laughs> they know, damn it, they know. <sighs> okay, all right. So this one isn't really for anybody except my friends over in the UK. Apparently, there's a little bit of a Hollywood legend going on regarding the Lord of the Dance. Uh, if you know the reference, I hope most, if not all of you, have seen Lord of the Dance. Even if you're not really into dancing you know, as a, like, as a thing, it's still fantastic to watch. The music is fantastic. It's, all, it's, it's Celtic dancing with a flair, let's put it that way. Chicago native Michael Flatley went over to Ireland. He he earned a reputation. I think he still has the world record for fastest tap dancer, I think. But Lord of the Dance became a, a worldwide sensation. The dancing, especially the tap dancing segments, are top-notch. The music by Ronan Hardiman is fantastic. Made Michael Flatley lots of money. Well, he decided to take that some of that money and write and direct and star in his own spy thriller movie. So supposedly the story is that back in 2018 when he first talked about it, he got a lot of flack because the poster apparently was eh, a little bit on the racy side. And he came out and said, look, I didn't design the poster. That wasn't my responsibility. And then nothing was heard. Just kind of disappeared. So the movie is called Blackbird. And there is now a trailer out. Is today the day you wish to confess your sins? Not today. My sins are my own. You heard about the incident in London? Blake Molyneux is extremely dangerous. This is our chance. We must get Victor involved. No one can do what he does. I'm not the man I used to be. The Blackbird is dead. You're the only one who can stop this. We've got to come back and fight. When are we gonna get past this? I'll never get past this! You can't just hide from the world. Ah! Victor Blackland. I believe you have something in mind. Who I am is none of your concern. And what I do is out of your control. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. 
and I'm about to sin again. Okay, I have no idea about his acting chops or if if he even has any. <laughs> Some of the scenes seem to be okay. Obviously, he's known for the movement of his feet rather than you know the the his acting capabilities. And maybe this is a vanity project of his. Who knows? But all other things aside, the trailer actually looks really good. You know, your basic spy thriller kind of movie. But it probably will not get a U.S. or North American release. It's probably going to stay in the U.K. Because really, he's he's known... I mean, he's a total celebrity in Ireland. But who knows? So it's going to be released to U.K. cinemas on September 2nd. Can I stutter anymore? So any of my UK listeners, if you are interested in the movie and you go to see it, I really would like to hear what you think about it. Sadly, if I want to see it, I'm probably going to have to put my pirate hat on, which kind of sucks. But, you know, if it's not legally available over here, then that, that's, the, that's what you got to do. Okay, no, you don't have to. There's nothing saying that I have to have it or I have to see it. But who knows? We'll see what happens. Anyway, if anybody over in the UK has a chance to see it, I would like to know what you think about it. So let me know, podcast at widescreen.org. Another trailer that came out that, well, it's really of no use for me to do it here because it's mostly a teaser. They're calling it a trailer, but it's really a teaser. It's Halloween Ends. It's the last of the latest Halloween trilogy starring Jamie Lee Curtis. That's coming into theaters on October 14th. And it's Jamie Lee Curtis. How can you not love her? And she looks like she's ready to kick ass and take names and chew bubble gum and all that good stuff. So I will obviously have a link to the treat teaser, trailer, whatever. I don't know. They call it a trailer. I don't think it is. I think it's a teaser. What do I know? But I'll have a link in the show notes. But of course, I mean, you have to love Jamie Lee Curtis. She's she's certainly not afraid to speak her mind. You know, she figures that she's 63 years old. What the hell? <laughs> what does she have to do? You know, why does she have to, to watch what she says? Not that she ever did. But, uh... She's been poking some fun at Marvel lately. Uh, she recently gave him a little bit of a jab when it came to everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, with respect to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, uh, joking on Insta- Instagram that everything, everywhere, all at once out Marvels any Marvel movie they put out there. <laughs> Actually, I do want to see that. I've been reading a lot of things about it. Apparently, it's a fantastic movie. And all of the special effects in the movie were done by a five-person team. And the effects are really good. But she did also say that uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once also has more wit and imagination and ended her post with the hashtag, Guess I Will Never Be Cast in a Marvel Movie. And when she was asked about that later on, she said, I would find it hard to imagine that Marvel's going to figure out something to do with a 64-year-old woman. And this is the part that's like, whoa. I'm afraid if I do a Marvel movie, they're going to stick dots all over me and make me act by myself in a warehouse somewhere. Everything Everywhere All at Once was the absolutely most unexpected, delightful experience, maybe of my career, just because the expectations were so low and I was so free to work and just had a blast making it, and there was no green screen. (laughs) Well, I mean, I've got nothing against green screen i kind of like the way they do it more nowadays like with the mandalorian and they have the big led screen that wraps around to provide a more natural lighting and you know atmosphere but i also know a lot of people out there who hate heavy use of green screen in movies and if you're one of those you have a reason to love jamie lee curtis even more 
Uh, what else is going on? Let's see. Nintendo has bought out a... Uh, they've bought out a visual content company by the name of Dynamo Pictures Incorporated. It's going to be renamed to Nintendo Pictures Company. Is going to be a wholly owned subsidiary. And Dynamo is a CG animation company that specializes in animation for video games and TV and also works with motion capture technology. Meaning, Nintendo basically now has a TV and movie studio. This is no surprise. Sony has done it. Ubisoft has done it. But now it means that they won't necessarily have to rely on working with other studios to make Nintendo TV and movie properties. So right now, uh, they're producing an animated movie with Universal's Illumination Studio for Super Mario Brothers. Obviously, that's being... Super Mario... Or sorry, Mario is being voiced by Chris Pratt. And that's set for an April 2023 release. So who knows what kind of movie or TV series they might come up with next. But, I mean, they own Kirby. They owned Legend of Zelda, Donkey Kong, Star Fox, Animal Crossing. I think they're a majority shareholder in Pokemon, I think. So they got lots to choose from, but now if they're going to own their own studio, it's going to be a lot easier for them to come out with new TV and movie franchises. Getting close to the end here. Getting close, getting close. Uh, the next Stephen King picture, Salem's Lot, uh, that's being moved from Labor Day to spring of 2023. Uh, supposedly the move is due to COVID-related delays in post-production, which is not surprising considering how much the latest variant of COVID is going wild in California and other metropolitan areas. You know, because people think the pandemic is over, so, you know, what the hell, just do what we want. It's just like the flu, which it's not, but we're not going to go there. Kevin Smith has released a new trailer for Clerks 3, as well as a release date. Can't catch my breath, man. Really? Should I try mouth stuff? What is this, a Tinder date? Get off of me. Uh, oh, shit. Mr. Dante! I need an ambulance at the quick stop. Save my life, man. Wish I had a life worth saving. What are you talking about? Sit around and watch the same movies over and over. I always thought you could have made a cool movie. You're right. I'm living on borrowed time. No more watching movies. I'm gonna make a movie! What's the movie gonna be about? It's about him working here. Meta. Everything in the script is something either me or someone I know said. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Maybe Jay and Silent Bob could be characters. Jay and Silent Bob are like C-3PO and R2-D2. They've been here since the first movie, which was the last time they were cool. But they've been with the franchise so long, they still give them cameos and put them on the lunchboxes. Snifty Booches! Please tell me why! They believe in you. Put in that stuff you used to say about the Death Star contractors. Get sued by Disney. No way. Clerks 3 is scheduled to come out on September 3rd of this year. And if you want to see the trailer, you know where to go. And finally, we get to the last part of the show, which longtime listeners know I try to save for goofier stuff or sillier stuff or just off the wall or whatever. So this time we've got one that's just, wait, really? Uh... People who've listened to this podcast for a long time are going to appreciate this one. Then there's one that's just totally, are you effing kidding me? And then there's one that is absolutely awesome and heartwarming. So the first one, Stranger Things obviously is a, a huge success for Netflix. And one of the major appealing factors for it is the nostalgia because the movie pretty much takes place in the 1980s. And of course, what was a big staple of the 1980s, but VHS tapes. 
And yes, VHS tapes with their awful pan and scan. And if you don't know what pan and scan is, oh boy, you need to go to widescreen.org. I explained the pan and scan process, but in a nutshell, we're used to 16 by 9 monitors nowadays. Back in the day, monitors were much more square. But then you've got movies like Star Wars or Ben-Hur or Superman or whatever that were really wide, even wider than our current monitors that we've got. So instead of shrinking the movie down so that you could see the whole movie, pan and scan would basically lock the camera in one section of the screen so you would lose the visuals for whatever was off camera. Really freaking annoying, awkward framing. You know there should be two people in that scene, but you might only see one, or you only see their noses. Again, widescreen.org, that's this is all this is why widescreen.org was created to explain why shrinking movies down to their full size should so that you can see the entire width of the screen. That's the proper way, and I will go that route. I will say it's the right way to view a movie. And similarly, now that we have wider monitors and TVs, if it's an old TV show that was made for the square frames, then that's how it should be shown, too, with black bars on the bottom. Sorry, black bars on the sides. That's what I meant. Anyway, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, go to widescreen.org, go to the aspect ratio section, you'll get it. So anyway, when the Duffer brothers, who are the, the guys behind Stranger Things, were asked if they would consider a 4K Blu-ray release for their series, uh, Matt Duffer responded that, uh, I want to do a VHS. I want a pan and scan version of at least season one. I just want to try to pan and scan it. Yes, he said, I mean, if you're going to do something 80s, that's pretty much going all the way. <laughs> Got to do pan and scan, and then you have to reduce the resolution to VHS resolution. So apparently, they're nostalgic about the prospect of pan and scan, saying that they would like to give the series the appearance of a VHS, while also hoping to release it on 4K Blu-ray. So expressing their excitement, Ross Duffer said, skip the VCR, hit it a couple of times, put it on Netflix. At least the nerd in me loves it, the nostalgic factor. We had our colorist do the opening scene of season one in pan and scan for us. So it sounds like they've already done it. But he does say that if they do get to do this, the pan and scan version will not replace the current high def version. It will simply be its own separate thing. I think what they need to do is not necessarily release it on VHS, because economically that would not make sense, but release the series on DVD, but in a VHS case. So you have to actually slide it out, and then you gain access to the discs from there. That would be kind of cool. I wouldn't want it. Stranger Things isn't my kind of show. But still, to hear in, in 2022 that someone wants to release a pan and scan version is... What? <laughs> what? But I admire their nostalgic factor that they're falling back on. I do. I still hate pan and scan. In the you've got to be effing kidding me category, Marvel revealed at Comic-Con the creation of a real-life Infinity Gauntlet holding the six precious gems, including a ruby, emerald, sapphire, diamond, garnet, and amethyst. The six stones combined are over 150 carats with a total estimated value surpassing 25 million. Here's the part that's just like, really? There's going to be a limited amount of certified ones and they're going to be available to the public in drops. 
Marvel Consumer Products Senior Vice President Paul Gitter said, this is just unbelievable. Fans and collectors are a very important consumer for Marvel since they truly live the Marvel lifestyle every day and are always seeking to connect with the brand in new and unique ways. We feel this authentic gemstone collection is cool and unexpected and extends the reach of the Marvel brand. To who? Or whom? To whom? To frickin' whom? $25 million for one of these damn gloves. So they, they want it to be they want it to be in the reach of the Mar you know the Marvel brand, except for the fact that ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the fans that Marvel claims to be reaching out to couldn't afford these damn things in the first place. What the ever living Felger carb is wrong with these people? More importantly, what kind of frickin' world are they living in? I mean I can see them doing this as a one time thing just because, you know, throw it in a museum, it's kind of cool thing, or, or, or that sort of thing. But to make it sound like it's going to be available to the public, and it's a way to reach out to fans. What? I, I want to swear so much at the arrogance of that attitude, but I'm trying to keep this, you know, I'm trying not to do that. I don't have to not swear, I just try not to. But wow, I mean, talk about tone deaf. Yeah, $25 million gauntlets are reaching out to the fans. Oh, my God. Yeah, reaching out to them with a big middle finger. Ugh, it gets me angry just thinking about it. So, let's go the opposite direction for the last article. We hear a lot about, ironically, Marvel. The, the, the Marvel actors, unlike being jackasses like this clown trying to reach out to fans that way, they actually reach out to fans in ways that matter. You know, Chris Evans will go to hospitals dressed up as Captain America. Johnny Depp goes to hospitals dressed up as Jack Sparrow, that sort of thing. Well, now it's time for Paul Rudd to be the good guy on this. So a mother in Colorado picked up her 12-year-old son Brody from school back in May, and she knew something was wrong because he was upset. Uh, he received his yearbook and asked a number of people to sign it, but only four people did. What the hell is wrong with kids anymore? He was so upset that so few people signed his yearbook that he even wrote in his yearbook, hope you make some more friends. He wrote it in his own yearbook. So his mom put up a post saying, my poor son, it doesn't seem like it's getting any better. Two teachers and a total of two students wrote in his yearbook. Despite Brody asking all kinds of kids to sign it, so Brody took it upon himself to write to himself, my heart is shattered. Well... Paul Rudd found out about this, and he went so far as to call FaceTime or whatever, you know, video call he did with this 12-year-old boy, and also sent him a letter and a gift. He said uh, in the letter, it's important to remember that even when life is tough, that things get better. There are so many people that love you and think you're the coolest kid there is, me being one of them. I can't wait to see all the amazing things you're going to accomplish. And with that letter, he sent Brody an autographed Ant-Man helmet with, uh, written on it is, to my good friend Brody for when he takes on the world. And apparently, Brody and Paul Rudd still text each other. How cool is that? That is reaching out to fans. That is something that the senior VP of Marvel, Marvel's uh, consumer products clearly doesn't have a clue about. But that is how you do it, 
And Paul Rudd, I salute you, sir. And that's it. Another one in the can, the trash can in this case, because that's where this podcast belongs. I hope those of you listening have been managing to stay awake because, as I keep saying on my Twitch stream, this podcast is perfect for people who suffer from insomnia because I put you to sleep like that. I don't know how I don't do it myself. I should be putting myself to sleep. Now, the obvious joke would be for me to fall asleep right now, but I'm not going to do that because, hey, you're expecting it. But we're done here. Hey, follow me on Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, Widescreen John on all those platforms. Uh, or, or just, you know, widescreen.org and listen to the podcast. I, I do try to entertain and inform. Sometimes it's just informing, and I get that. But anyway, take care of yourself, take care of each other, and toodles! I can pray and trick with a double tongue, but the only fool here is me. I choose the way to go, but the road won't set me free. Cause I wish you'd see me, baby. Save me, I'm going crazy. Trying to keep us real, keep us alive. This day we'll die tonight, and there ain't no exception. We shouldn't wait for nothing to wait for. Love me in this fable, babe. My heart is in your hand. Our time is waiting right outside your door. And maybe Is a better day. This podcast is copyright 2022 and is released under the Creative Commons license. Some rights are reserved. You knew that. The widescreen podcast is a proud member of the Blueberry Network. That's blueberrynoise.com. Theme music is by Poets of the Fall and is used with permission. Please visit their website at poetsofthefall.com. This has been. And shall be until I become a mound of dirt in the ground or wherever my wife buries me or whatever she does with me. Uses me for target practice. I I don't know what she's going to do. And I'm not going to care because I'll be dead. Ah! This has been a widescreen.org production.